Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Just for being a Getting In listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice by going to www.audible.com college. From Slate and Panoply, this is Getting In, a podcast series about the path to college. I'm your host, Julie Lifcott-Hames, and Getting In expert Amy Young is back again this week to answer listener questions. For those who don't remember, Amy's the director of college counseling at Avenues, an independent school in New York City. Welcome back, Amy. It's great to be back, Julie. Thank you. Okay, Amy. So before we get started with listener questions, we actually have an update from another Getting In senior, Ellis Wells, who you know better than anyone on the show because he's one of the students you advise at Avenues. Let's hear from Ellis. Okay, this is Ellis Wells signing in. Um, pretty exciting news. On Friday night at 6.30 p.m., I heard back from Vanderbilt University, and I got in. Um, so that was early decision, too. Um, so that's where I'll be attending school next year. Um, so my college process is officially over. You know, I was on a kind of a kind of a rough streak, uh, rough patch. I was in a rough patch. I rejected from Duke, and then... Um, Rejected from UVA a little while ago, so it was a little, a little on the dumps, but uh, crazy exciting news. Um, couldn't be happy right now. Um, and actually, I was when I found out, I was actually on my way to the airport. Um, I was in the car with my dad, reloaded on my phone. Congratulations, Ellis, you've got in. And I said that the, the next person after my dad was sitting right next to me um, that had to know it was my mom. So uh, I went ahead and called my mom, um, share the great news with her. And then I uh, just started talking to my friends. They were so happy for me and whatnot. And so it was a really special moment for sure. And now I'm here with my grandparents and uh, my cousin and my aunt. Um, so it's just a nice way to celebrate. But yeah, so my college process is officially over. Uh, couldn't have done it, out, done it without uh, Miss Young, uh, you know, everything. Uh, starting what feels, yeah, basically a year ago. About this time was when I started ramping up for the ACT. Um, so really, this is when I started working with her. So it's been uh, it's been a wild year. I can't believe it's kind of surreal now. I th- now I really feel like my four years of high school are really coming to an end. Um, so that's a bit scary, but it's also exciting. Um, I've joined the Facebook group and I've uh, the Vanderbilt Facebook group, and I'm seeing a lot of uh, mutual friends and actually some of my close. Fr- uh, I have one close friend going so. I'm definitely going to be comfortable there. I'm looking forward to it, and I really couldn't be happy right now. Thank you to the podcast for all the insightful information from everyone on uh, the whole team. Couldn't be happy right now. Pretty surreal that it's over, but uh, thank you. Oh, Ellis, I'm so happy for you. I have felt the pain in your voice as you've experienced a few of these rejections. You know, it seemed as if somehow these schools' decisions were getting to you, man. And what I heard just now was, Ellis is back. Ellis is feeling like, all right, I've done it. I feel great about this opportunity to be at Vanderbilt. You know, I loved his recounting of the whole last year and all the support he's gotten. And this is what we hope every kid will experience, whether it's Ellis at Vanderbilt or Jonathan at Muhlenberg or all of the others we're waiting to hear from. It's like, okay, it's over. This process, this excruciating process is now behind you. And now you get to focus on 
being a kid a little bit and finishing your senior year and getting excited about spending four years on a campus that has decided to welcome you as one of theirs. I'm so happy for Ellis. Well, and I was, I, I thought it was interesting in Ellis's uh, memo how he declared not once but twice that his college process was over. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, we, we did take note of that. And Julie, I have to say, not only can you hear it in Ellis's voice, a sense of relief and exhilaration, but I can see it on his face. So we I actually bet. have, we're in my office right now, and I have Ellis right here. So I'm wondering if you might want to pass what? your congratulations on to him. Oh, hi, Ellis. Hello. I'm so happy for Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So you know what? Tell us about Vanderbilt. Give us a few sentences or a few thoughts about Vanderbilt. I bet a lot of our listeners um, are are eager to know more about this wonderful school, particularly now that you've gotten in there. So um, give us a, just a sense of what it is that's drawn you to them and, and why you're excited to be on that campus. I mean, uh, first and foremost, the academics are, you know, stellar stellar um so that's just baseline and all the schools i applied to all great schools and the academics are going to be rigorous also vanderbilt um stood out to me just nashville was just a really great city i really really fell in love with it when i was there um this past october you know the campus is beautiful um but nashville really stood out to me as one of those like great places to be for the next four years absolutely nashville tennessee fantastic well you know, so here it is. It's February. It's your senior year. What do you do? How do you handle the next few months? What's the priority for you now? Well, I I must say the moment I got back, I was in the college office signing one more letter, just uh, retracting all my applications. So that's done now. So uh, other than that, I think for me, I'm just trying to enjoy it. You know, I only have a couple more months left at Avenues and with my friends. So beyond just enjoying myself and having fun, I just feel this sense of like relief. This I just have nothing on my plate really right now. And I can do things for myself that I'm interested in at school, which is really something I haven't been able to do as much as I'd like to these past couple of years. So, Ellis, thinking back to your younger self, there are a lot of younger listeners, maybe sophomores, maybe even freshmen in high school, certainly juniors. I wonder if you can think back to your younger self. And given what you've experienced over this last year with the bumps and curveballs and the triumphs, what are your little bits of... Uh, of advice or even wisdom for those coming behind you? Uh, two pieces of advice I would give are one, preparation, just putting your nose down and getting to work. For me, like working really hard at the ACT was something that I uh, was really proud of. I ended up with a great score, but you know, I only got there because I worked and prepared for it. And, you know, in the, in the, over the summer and in the early fall, I was working on my essay pretty diligently and just preparing myself so I didn't leave anything to the last minute. Setting clear goals and accomplishing them, working hard to reach them. And then it all seems to just kind of keep rolling. You never feel like you've got so much to do on your plate. If you take them piece by piece and say, all right, this week I'm going to write X thing and I'm going to study for the ACT or something like that. If you space it out and prepare yourself, it's not going to feel too overwhelming. Um, and the second thing for me, like early decision uh, and early action responses weren't exactly the thing. They weren't what I was hoping. Yeah. But I think the lesson I learned is that like, Every time people would just tell me one thing that really stood out to me was onto greener pastures. You know, you can't go back um, and wonder too hard about why you didn't get in. Sure, maybe you can make small changes in your application, but what you what you did, that's in the past and you have to move on. Um, and finally, I guess, you know, no one ever says they hated their college experience. Everyone finds a school that's right for them and a place they're happy at. So be optimistic. Beautiful. 
You going to go play some golf? I was playing. I played a lot of golf this weekend, which was a nice way to relax. All right, Ellis. Well, again, on behalf of the podcast, we're we're thrilled for you. Can hear that authentic joy in your voice. So excited for you to make your way off to Vandy, it's called, right? Isn't that the nickname for Vanderbilt? Yes, anchor down. <laughs> anchor down. Okay, anchor down. good. See, we get we're gonna learn all of these great college slogans. It's fun. That's how when you know you're becoming part of the place is yes. when you start to speak the language of the place. Is Amy still there? I'd love to hear Amy's thoughts. She is. Thanks, Julie, for chatting with Ellis. Oh, what a joy. Yeah, so what's it like for you? Here you have Ellis. You've been right there by his side, really aware of every goal he's set, every effort he's made. You know, he's been so diligent about this whole process as he just related in a sense of, you know, wisdom to share to younger students. You've been right there with him. How does this news feel for you as his college counselor? Of course, we're thrilled and excited for him, and we are so incredibly proud of him. He has worked so hard. These sorts of decisions don't don't come lightly, right? When in terms of colleges admitting students, they Vanderbilt saw all the value that Ellis could bring to their campus. They recognized his hard work. Uh, you know what what. I'm able to say as Ellis's college counselor is he built an enormous amount of reflection into his application. His authentic voice was so present there. It was so clear that he had given so much thought to his choices and his academic path and all of those things. So that level of authenticity was really there. And that's what that's what we always hope for students to use this process to actually learn something about themselves. And I think that's so especially true for Ellis. And and that was obvious. Uh, and, and those are the sorts of things that result in good decisions, meaning a student ending up at a school that's a really great match where we all think uh, and know that Ellis will thrive academically and extracurricularly. You know, we've gotten feedback on the podcast here that we are offering through advice from you, Amy, and the other experts. We're offering people a resource that they may not have in their own community, you know, with an eye to those listeners, whether they're parents or students themselves. To those juniors and parents of juniors listening, here we are, February, can you give a sense of if a junior is starting to kind of amp up, starting to really pay attention to this whole process and think, yeah, it's time for me to buckle down, but they're not quite sure what are the first, you know, three, four, five things that ought to be on a checklist they might be creating for themselves? What would you put on that checklist? Sure. So I would say... Give some real thought to how you're mapping out your standardized testing, uh, just so that you are not being reactive about that. Just sort of give yourself a sense of, you know, I want to aim to take this some of these tests twice, an ACT twice or an SAT twice. Do not set yourself up to just take it every month or anything like that. Just be thoughtful and methodical about that. Have some conversations with either teachers or guidance counselors at your schools about what your courses should be like uh, and what makes the most sense for you and what's most appropriate for you. Start giving some thought now to how you want to spend your time over the summer. The point being is that you don't necessarily want to set yourself up for a summer that is going to exhaust you and have you starting your senior year more exhausted than when you ended your junior year. But you don't want to find yourself in the middle of summer thinking, I'm not using my time well, and I'm sort of wasting my time here. Just make sure that you're going into your summer being thoughtful and intentional. And I think one of the things I say to my students at this point is... Well, I'll say two pieces of advice. Um, You should always be 
in your classes with the intention knowing that you will be asking your teachers for recommendations so if you haven't been spending time getting to know your teachers and developing a relationship with teachers that you would want to advocate for you start that now and you should this is true in college too you should always have one or two teachers that you you are developing relationships with them with with the intent that you might be able to ask them for some advocacy later on because you will need recommendation letters your entire life Um, and the second piece is this is the time now if you haven't been doing your best work this is the time when you want to say okay if I haven't been haven't been giving it my all at this point this is my chance to really feel like I'm walking into my college process knowing that that I did give it my all you want to you don't want to end at the end of your college process and say you know what if I'd only worked a little harder if I'd only cared a little more do right by yourself and and do your best work right now if you haven't been doing that up to this point so you don't feel like you've cheated yourself in the end great tips. And what I love implicit in that last piece of advice is the fact that, yeah, many kids haven't yet put their best foot forward academically in high school. And what you're saying is, hey, that's normal for many. That happens. Now's the time to take stock of the self, take stock of where you are in the process and realize, you know, you're in the final lap uh, when it comes to gathering up the academic evidence of what you're capable in time to apply to college. All right, let's get to this week's listener questions. The first is from John Perry. How is the writing section of the ACT used in college admissions? Specifically, if someone's ACT composite score is high, but the writing section score is lower, how will this factor into admissions decisions? We've actually received a few letters about this ACT score discrepancy, which I confess I know nothing about. Amy, help us out. So the ACT added an optional writing section along with the SAT adding a compulsory writing section. And this happened about a decade ago. With the redesign of the SAT, the SAT has now made this writing section optional as well. So that will start in March. One of the reasons that the SAT is now moved away from the compulsory writing section is that colleges weren't actually using it that much. Um, There are some places that did make significant use of it. But for the most part, colleges would look at that writing section just to make sure that there weren't any red flags. Again, there are some exceptions to that. And they are using ACT writing sections in, in basically a similar way. So when you say that the writing score is lower than the composite score, I think the real question is how much lower? If it's a little bit lower, but in basically the same range, you know, a few points, that isn't anything that I would be concerned about. What I would be concerned about is if there is truly a significant gap, maybe five points or more, um, or if you're if you're hitting into that section on the ACT where you might be flagged as not college ready. Um, But aside from that, colleges are really going to focus on the writing that's included in your application. Um, And oftentimes when colleges ask for graded writing samples or something like that. So there are other ways for colleges to sort of suss out the quality of a student's writing, looking at teacher recommendations and, and what they have to say and things like that. So it's optional with the ACT. And um, it sounds like it's also optional with the SAT. Now, did I get that right? the new SAT? That is correct, though I should say that many colleges still require students to take the test with the writing section, and students should take the test with the writing section because the worst thing is if you end up wanting to apply to a school that requires the writing section, but you haven't taken it. 
I see. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Next, we've got an email from Ann Cullen, a mom in Petaluma, California. I have a son, a junior, that is an outdoor adventure blogger. When we went to the UC Berkeley admissions presentation, they told us that applicants should not send internet links in their application because they will not look at them. Is this true for all colleges and universities? He will be applying to Stanford, Berkeley, University of Virginia, and a few Ivies. He puts a lot of time into his blog. It would be a shame for it not to be considered. Outdoor adventure blogger. Amy, I don't know if you have those things in New York, but we certainly have people like that out here on the West Coast. Well, what do we you certainly think? have bloggers. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Of course you do. Are there schools that consider a student's personal website seriously as part of their application materials, or is what Anne's here? Correct. Uh, what she heard from Berkeley is—is is that going to be true at other schools? Don't send internet links. What do you think? Well, I think fundamentally, what it comes down to with the University of California system is they have their own application. So, no, they do not give opportunities for students to paste in. Uh, internet links to that application. And a lot of that just has to do with volume. They have enough difficulty getting through the tens of thousands of applications, um, sometimes over 100,000 applications that they receive. So they just can't give particular students extra time. Uh, The common application, which is accepted by the other schools uh, that this listener has listed, does give opportunities for students to insert links to art portfolios, links to blogs, links to scientific research, any number of things. But it is one of those things that you can't assume that a college will take the time to look at it. You can include it. And I think you need to include that stuff judiciously. So don't include five links. Try to just include one because that increases the chances that they will look at it. Uh, But there are opportunities to include that in the common application. Well, I think and also if you're a blogger, we're talking about your writing. You're writing in an online context and your writing is obviously something that's important to you. It's something you're going to write about. Also, you know, the the way you write, the voice you use, that's going to come across in your applications, or it should. So in some sense, the blogger is more fortunate than somebody whose interest isn't as um, easily conveyed through the application itself. So I would say to Anne, have confidence that your kid, you know, even if they're not going to look at his blog, he's going to write about that blog, he's going to write about why he blogs, you know, and um, what motivates him to do that. And if he's putting it in the voice, you know, that he really feels is is his exemplary voice as a writer, all of that's going to help him shine. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, next, we received this voice memo from Brenda, a mother in Virginia. Hello, my name is Brenda. We live in Northern Virginia and have a junior who feels that he's absolutely settled on his career and college goals. He plans to study environmental science undergrad and then to study marine biology in grad school so that he can eventually conduct research on sharks to help protect them and their habitats. To this end, he's attended marine biology camps at the Virginia Institute of Marine Science and University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Uh, He also struck up an email conversation with a well-known shark researcher, Dr. Samuel Gruber, and in the course of that conversation was invited to spend a week at the Bimini Biological Field Station learning what shark research really entails. Sadly, uh, my son's GPA is only about 3.69, 3.71. Now, he is taking three AP classes this year, uh, two honors classes, as well as the academic-level chemistry and pre-calculus. He did take the SAT in December without a lot of prep, uh, and his result was about 1,900. Now, none of these are bad, 
but Virginia State schools are just so competitive that they're probably not sufficient to get him into most of the Virginia State schools that have his desired major. The exception would be Christopher Newport University, which is a lovely school, does have environmental science, and the professor there was extremely helpful during the school visit. But it doesn't have the study abroad or the undergrad research that my son feels are really going to be critical to his undergrad experience. We did also visit some schools in Florida and Georgia, which were beautiful, have tremendous programs, and which he liked very, very much. But of course, they're out of state, so the cost is going to be about double. And unless he gets a merit-based scholarship, that's really going to be prohibitive for us. Granted, he is in National Honor Society, the Sociedad Honoraria Hispanica, or the National Spanish Honor Society. He is a Life Scout working towards his Eagle rank in Boy Scouts, but his grades just aren't where we think they probably should be to be competitive for scholarships. So our question is this. If he can't afford an out-of-state school, and he is not accepted into one of the other Virginia State Universities which have his desired major, what is going to best help him to meet his goals? Should he go ahead, assuming he's accepted, and go to Christopher Newport University and then transfer after his first year to one of the other state schools? Or should he attend Northern Virginia Community College, which has a guaranteed admission policy to most of the Virginia state schools? Or would it be better to take a gap year, uh, work, perhaps with that Bimini Biological Field Station or Cape Eleuthera Research Institution, something like that for a year and get some of that experience under his belt. Thank you very much for taking our call. I appreciate your help. So, Amy, lots of information here about Brenda's son, who has a clear passion for marine biology, but maybe doesn't have the high caliber grades and scores to get him into the affordable in-state schools. What's your advice for Brenda and her son? Brenda's son actually sounds quite accomplished based on the things that she has listed. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm going to quibble with her on that point. Um, You know, it sounds like it's it's hard to know. She says that he has about an A minus GPA. It's very it's very hard to know how strong that is if you don't know a particular high school. Um, But, you know, I don't know if that's a weighted GPA or an unweighted GPA. But honestly, it's not sounding that bad to me. Um, So I, I may not feel quite as pessimistically as she does about some of these options that she has listed, particularly given that he has such very clear reasons for wanting to do what he's proposing to study, and he has already done a significant amount of it. With regard to the affordability, you know, it is it is oftentimes possible that a private school might offer better financial aid than an in-state institution. So those are things that, you know, without knowing much about their financial situation, I would not cross those things off completely. And it's very, very possible, given the work that he's done, that he may be eligible for, for merit aid in different parts of the country, even at other public institutions that have a strong marine biology program. So I guess I would say I give a, a bit of a more encouraging message. Um, I think there is great potential for her son, and I would encourage him to go after the schools he's excited about. Yeah, I'm sort of struck by Brenda's comment. His grades just aren't there. Part of me is really feeling for her kid. He's doing a tremendous number of things and seemingly so motivated and doing them quite well, and this is in no way a GPA to be ashamed of. Um, So I hope hope that's not in the conversational mix at home. Amy, thanks so much for joining me today once again. Thanks, Julie. It's always a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for your excellent questions. 
We've got a lot of ways you can send us your questions and comments. We're on Twitter at gettinginpod. That's all one word, gettinginpod. You can send an email or voice memo to our email address, and that's slate.com. And there's always our hotline where you can leave a message, and I love to hear your voices, so please consider that. That number is 929-999-4353. And if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes. As we've seen, it really helps other people discover the show. Getting In is a production of Slate and Panoply Media. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer, and Panoply's chief content officer is Andy Bowers. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Julie Lifcott-Hames. And remember, it's not just about getting in. It's about finding the right fit. Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks. You can download them and access them on a bunch of different devices, like iPhones, Android, Kindle, or pretty much any other MP3 player. One book to try out from Audible is Untangled, Guiding Teenage Girls Through the Seven Transitions into Adulthood. Author Lisa Damore pulls back the curtain on the teenage years and shows why confusing behavior is actually healthy, necessary, and natural. Untangled explains what's going on, prepares parents for what's to come, and lets them know when it's time to worry. If you want to listen to Untangled or many other books, Audible has it. With more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com college and use the promo code college.